Section 9 of An American Vendetta. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An American Vendetta, a story of barbarism in the United States, by T.C. Crawford. Chapter 6, Part 1. Devil Anse's Family Circle, a glimpse at the family fireside and how the outlaws lived. The picture presented inside the outlaw's hut is one which would need the careful accuracy of a photograph for reproduction so that its peculiar features could be believed. The principal room of the house was not much larger than the average hotel bedroom. The floor was bare. The principal feature of the room was an enormous blackened stone fireplace. In front of this was a brick hearth. At the right of the fireplace was a single bedstead. Then there was the door leading into the back part of the house, and across the narrow way going through the door were other beds. There were three double beds in line at the opposite side of the room from the fireplace. Opposite the door already mentioned was the one leading out upon the front porch. In a corner to the left of this floor was a big table and a broken-down old-fashioned sewing machine. Upon the table was a book. It was the one book in the house. It was a southern publication, purporting to give a history of the United States. From a casual glance at the chapters, I learned for the first time that the southern confederacy triumphed and dictated terms to the United States government and was now in full possession of the government at Washington. I was informed that Cap Hatfield and one or two of the guards were the happy members of the family who had received enough education to pick out the meaning of an occasional sentence in this book in the family circle. When Anse Hatfield seated himself at the head of a semicircle in front of the fireplace and began to talk, there was flanked at his right and left every member of his family. The back part of the room was without a window, and consequently in deep shadow. From loose poles hanging along the ceiling were suspended various articles of clothing, making patches of color against the dark background. The most modest and quiet members of the family were the women, there were three full-grown young women in this family, and two younger daughters, one just entering her teens, and the other a little curly-haired girl of three years old. The daughters were tall and broad-shouldered, with lithe, natural figures, not one of which had ever felt the unnatural pressure of stays. They were dressed in calico garments, and without exception were barefooted. One of the elder girls had regular features, sparkling black eyes, good color, and a well-shaped head, set off by a shock of uncombed dark brown hair. They moved about with the gravity and ease of Indian squaws. They looked with much more indifference than curiosity upon the strangers who had, for the time being, taken possession and very much upset the routine of this household. The scene presented when Anse Hatfield began to discuss the feud was one well worthy of an artist's pencil. The patriarch, at the head of the dominating faction in this great vendetta, himself a tall, powerful man, not showing as yet a single trace of the advance in years, sat in an easy pose and talked with recklessness and the grace of an accomplished advocate. At his right, with his chin hanging upon his breast, was Cap Hatfield, the most pronounced type of the human murderer I have ever seen. Back of him sat several guards with their Winchesters across their shoulders. Winchesters gleamed in every direction. 
they were in rows across the beds and every now and then the door would open and in would stalk another tall mountaineer patrols were continually coming and going the children swarmed in and out while the three daughters clinging together after the fashion of the three graces would move in and out from the darkness of the rear room or would sit silent in the corner listening with apparent indifference to all that was being said the three visitors all wore overcoats and as we threw back our overcoats it was noticeable that the people we had come to see were nervous the throwing back of the coat of a stranger has to them a significance that it would not have to the average man even john b floyd's presence was not sufficient guarantee to produce a perfect feeling of confidence aunts hatfield who discussed many things and all in a peculiar mountain dialect was asked by me how it was that in so many of the mountain brawls shots were frequently fired to the number of fifty or sixty and sometimes two hundred without any one being hit i will tell you said he the human varmint is the most curious and most cunningest varmint there is when he goes into a fight he turns his body sideways so that there is presented for the bullet only four inches of life space and even that he doesn't hold up far and square he just keeps a dodgin and friskin about and so when the bullets come along they don't find him that is the only way that i can account for it said he he spoke in a pleasant way of the mccoys and much regretted the quarrel but he knew of no way of settling it people had threatened his life and threatened the lives of his children and he swore over and over again in every form of emphatic phrase that he would kill those who touched any of his it was curious to notice the affectionate spirit developed by Anne's Hatfield during this conversation for his children. It might have been a good piece of dramatic acting, but the old gentleman has often enough proved his devotion to his children. He has been out on many a night raid, the purposes of which were simply retaliation and punishment for some insult or injury done his children. He is a man of intense pride. He does not know how to read or write but he has lived the life of a mountaineer so long that he has imbibed such a spirit of freedom that he will not submit to the dictation of any one he is the absolute dictator of the family and the power of his dominating spirit is well illustrated by elias hatfield who told me that on the night that johns hatfield was arrested he was in aunts hatfield's house with his wife when the news came through rosanna mccoy of the capture of johns hatfield there was a hurried consultation ants called on all his followers and they all turned out but elias hatfield he thought that there might be trouble growing out of the raid and so he hesitated his wife whispering in his ear pleaded with him to stay at home but old ants called out imperiously come with me or you are no hatfield and so that man of peace rather than submit to that turned out to follow the fiery leader who swept away in the night and succeeded in accomplishing the object of his mission i asked Anne hatfield if he was not a religious man because it is not uncommon to find in connection with these mountain families strong religious belief in connection with the performance of acts of a criminal character Anne's replied i belong to no church unless you say that i belong to the one great church of the world if you like you can say it is the devil's church that i belong to at this he roared as if he had perpetrated a joke 
and all the family joined in as if the wit of this father outlaw was something too exquisite for belief aunts hatfield spoke of his virtues he said that he had never told any lies this has been verified by his neighbors he tells no lies about himself when he says that he does not know about certain killings it is because he has taken great pains not to know he scrupulously pays his debts he is hospitable to people in his class it is related of him that he once gave a dinner to a detective but it must be borne in mind that this detective was a west virginia one and was not engaged in hunting the hatfields but rather the mccoys across the river but the special virtue claimed by Anne's hatfield for himself was this he said people have given me a reputation of being fond of killing people now i am not a quarrelsome man all that i want is to be let alone if i were a killer and disposed to be revengeful there is many a man that i would have picked off from the brush if i felt so inclined when i lived on tug river why sir i have been a hunter and a trapper for years i have tracked many a bar and deer over this country i know every foot of it i have been out in the woods for days and weeks at a time i have got many a dry rocky nook in the mountains where no man living could find me but don't you suppose in those days when they was hunting me down tug river way that i had plenty of opportunities when i was under snug cover to pick off every day some one of the men who were after me but i didn't do it simply because none of them had as yet done anything to me the fact that they were trying to was nothing cap hatfield as i have said before dominates to a great extent his father either this is the fact or his father finds him a very useful tool for carrying out his purposes cap hatfield has the reputation of being a coward in addition to being one of the most brutal criminals who has ever escaped justice but his father shows him a deference that he shows to no other of his children during the dinner which we had at his house cap hatfield beguiled and passed away the time by telling us the various places that he had visited in the north and west when he thought the officers of the law were after him he described how he left the country and from this description it is easy to understand how difficult it would be to capture any of these outlaws by people not familiar with this territory cap hatfield left home in such a way that he walked for five days through the mountain country outside the line of all roads and when he came to strike the railroad he did it at one of the most remote parts upon it from the place of his starting like all illiterate men he had a wonderful memory for names and dates in giving the places where he stopped he always mentioned the name of the house the date of his arrival, and generally the name of the landlord who kept the house. I am familiar with the touching example of maternal pride in the well-doing of a son, but I do not think I ever saw a more lofty look of maternal pride on any mother's face than shone out upon the swarthy, dark face of Mrs. Hatfield when she listened to her son Cap as he told the story of how he had dodged the officers and of the various devices employed by him to escape them one day in texas he thought he was done for he saw a man from his neighborhood whom he knew very well although he was not certain whether the man knew him he knew no way of solving this doubt better than going right up to the man and asking his name this was the plan he employed to force the other to show his hand so loosening a pistol in his pocket 
He walked up to him and said, What is your name? The man replied, Vaughn. Hatfield knew that this was false, and then, through the magic of this false name, his courage rose high again, for he said to himself, This man, being under a false name, has undoubtedly run away too, for some such reason as I have. So he announced himself to this man, calling him by his right name. His instinct of a hunted criminal proved to be correct. The man whom he had met was another murderer from his county, who had been forced temporarily to leave. Cap Hatfield then related how intimate they became, and added, He took a heap of interest in me when he found that I was in the same fix as he, and did everything he could to help and protect me. But this wanderer could find no place to stay. The money which had enabled him make his trip came from a sale of land given to him by his father on Tug River. The amount was $800. When he had traveled about and exhausted this sum, he, of course, returned home, because he is too indolent to work, and nowhere found any section of the country where he could enjoy the same freedom as in the mountains of West Virginia. End of section 9